This episode is made possible by Armoire. I love genius companies founded by women, and Armoire is one of them. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days, and then when you're ready for new clothes, you just swap them out for more new-to-you styles. To me, Armoire Armoire solves so many issues I struggle with today, the biggest one being accumulation of stuff. Let's face it, women want to feel on trend and fresh in their clothes, so we like to shop for new clothes often. But I also get overwhelmed when I have too much to choose from, which happens after years of shopping. I forget what clothes I have and I end up wearing the same thing over and over. Armoire allows you to rent high-quality designer clothing for every occasion and then send it back. Whether you're planning your outfit for a date night, packing for a conference, or in need of a gown for a black tie event, you will be the best-dressed person in the room without ever having to brave a department store fitting room with those unflattering fluorescent lights again. Trust me, your overly cramped closet and the environment will thank you. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash heel. That's A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash heel to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to The Heal Podcast. I'm Kelly Noonan-Gores, and every week I speak to the leading doctors, healers, spiritual teachers, and scientists to find out what is truly possible when it comes to healing. I also interview real people with extraordinary healing stories. My philosophy is what's possible for one is possible for all. Today's guest is the amazing Deepak Chopra. What an honor to be able to sit in any room, even though it was a Zoom room, and interview this brilliant, beautiful soul. Deepak Chopra, as many of you know, is the founder of the Chopra Foundation, a nonprofit entity for research on well being and humanitarianism. He's also the founder of Chopra, a modern day health company at the intersection of science and spirituality. He's a world-renowned pioneer in integrative medicine and personal transformation. He has written over 90 books, and today we get into his 91st book called Total Meditation. 91 books, what? What a mission to output 91 books into this world. It takes so much creative energy and brain power just to put one book out in the world, let alone 91. So just that alone is extraordinary. So Total Meditation helps to achieve new dimensions of stress-free living and a joyful life. Uh, Time Magazine has described Dr. Chopra as one of the top 100 heroes and icons of the century. Needless to say, I was so honored 
to be able to sit down and have a conversation with Deepak about all things consciousness. We talk about the magical lies. We talk about how activism doesn't work and why. And let's talk to Deepak. So Deepak, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's great to be with you. I would love to hear what you would describe as consciousness. Many ways to describe consciousness. Uh, Here are some. Number one, consciousness makes every experience possible. There's no experience, mental or perceptual or physical, without consciousness. That's number one definition. Number two definition is consciousness is the knowing element in every experience. Right now, you and I know we are having this experience. So where is that knowing? In consciousness. Number three, uh, which is a good definition, I think, consciousness is that in which all experience occurs. This experience is occurring in consciousness. But also the experience of the body is occurring in consciousness right now. So all experience, doesn't matter what the, could be a sensation, a feeling, a thought, imagination, creativity, sound, form, color, taste, smell, texture. All these experiences are occurring in consciousness. So consciousness that in which all these experiences occur. It's also that in which all these experiences are known. And here's the tough part. It's also that out of which experience is made. So that's the part that people get a little uh, confused about. Is this made out of consciousness? And the answer is yes. Is this made out of consciousness? Answer is yes. Is this hand made out of consciousness? Yes. Is this uh, book made out of consciousness? Yes. What do we mean by that? Well, when you look at that, when you look at that, let's say you're a baby and you have no idea that this is called a pen uh, from Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. <laughs> so you're a baby. This, it, you know, you need to be a college graduate to understand this as a pen. Um, but if you're a baby, all this is visually is a color. It's a form, it's a shape. And if you really go deep into that idea, colors, shapes, and forms don't exist in the physical world. Nor do sensations exist in the physical world. Nor do smells exist in the physical world. Nor do tastes. None of these things exist in the physical world but we attribute them as properties of the physical world. So actually everything is made out of consciousness. Once you get out that, step one. Second, you realize that you are consciousness, then the only conclusion is you're creating the universe. And so is every other sentient being, but it's being filtered in your case, in my case, through what we call the mind. So consciousness is the common ground of all experience. An amoeba, a bacterium, COVID-19, a plant, these are all living entities. These are all living entities. Bacteria, fungi, plants, animals, 
But the names we give them are human names, number one. Okay, a giraffe doesn't know that it's called a giraffe. Okay, a tiger doesn't know it's called, those are human constructs for an experience. Where is that experience occurring in consciousness? Where is the experience of the body occurring in consciousness? Where is the experience of the Milky Way galaxy occurring in consciousness? Now, where is that consciousness which is modifying itself as these experiences, which are basically nothing other than sensations, sense perceptions, images, feelings, thoughts? So if you want an acronym for this, here it is, S-I-F-T, sensation, image, feeling, thought. None of these are attributes of a physical world. And yet, we have these experiences, and then we project a physical world, a physical body, and a mind. Awareness or consciousness is the common ground of experience in a plant. A plant seeks light, avoids darkness. Any living being seeks survival, avoids uh, a predator. And these living entities don't have brains. So brain, what is the brain? It's also an experience in consciousness. How do you know that you have a brain? Well, because you see it. And when you see it, it's a color, it's a shape. That's all it is. When you touch it, it's jello. Okay. When you smell it, it stinks, especially if it's informal. So what is a brain? It's a sensation, like anything else. The rest is a story. Now, human beings love to make stories. They, these are, we are the only species who writes, who makes, makes up things. Okay, and we make up magical lies, we call them truth. So everything that we call truth is actually a magical lie. This made up based on an interpretation of a human perceptual experience. So my senses tell me the earth is flat. Nobody believes that anymore. My senses tell me this ground that I'm sitting on is stationary. I know it's spinning at dizzying speeds and hurtling through space at thousands of miles an hour. My senses tell me that this body is solid. I know it's proportionately as void as intergalactic space. But even those are human constructs. They're all magical lies. So now what we do is we take a magical lie, something our perception tells us, which is a learned phenomenon, learned phenomenon in human beings. We take a magical lie, we then create a story. Now, in primitive times, the stories were mythology. Then they became religion. Then they became philosophy. Then they became theology. Today, it's science. So everybody says, well, you know, science tells us the truth. Ridiculous. All science does is give us technology so you and I can talk on Zoom <laughs> and other things. Okay, we can make iPhones. But it doesn't have anything to do with the truth. It's actually an extension of the magical lie. And what is the magical lie? that we are physical beings in a material world, when in fact we are fictional characters in a collective dreamscape. And once we understand that everything is a lie, except the liar, then we're all set. The liar is consciousness. <laughs> oh my gosh, okay. So many places we can go with this. So consciousness is being kind of translated through each of our individual lenses, right? Of yeah. our minds. So what yeah. is the, I mean, you know, you, you talk about in your book, how you are, you, you begin by asking the most basic question, what makes a person truly happy? What, 
and I'm seeking freedom, but what am I seeking freedom from? Is it freedom from suffering or is it freedom in spite of suffering? Like, what is the point of all this? If we are just, you know, what's the point of, of life? If we are meant to get out of our ego and, and separate limited selves and expand back into consciousness. So who or what is asking that question right now? Who's asking that question? Um, the I, me, my... No? It's your mind that's asking that question. Okay. And the mind is already a liar. We know that. that the mind is conditioned through centuries of conditioning. Ever since humans started telling stories. So around 30,000, 40,000 years ago, there were eight different kinds of human beings. So you had Neanderthals, you had little pygmy-sized humans, you had giant-sized humans. They all had names, Florences, Neanderthals, etc., etc. Uh, we are Homo sapiens. It's a name we gave ourselves. It means we are the wise ones. So we gave ourselves this name out of humility. <laughs> Then we gave other species names, including animals and other humans, And only one species, apparently, according to deep historians, had a language for stories. So we started telling stories, all lies. But as a result of the stories, we created interesting constructs, money. Now everybody thinks money is real. Okay, in fact, without money, you can't run the world. But made it up. I mean, you know, at one time, it was, you know, give me a haircut and I'll fix your shoes. Or, you know, you give me your eggs and I'll give you my banana. Yeah, but it was too inconvenient, so we said, I owe you. That became the green dollar and many other dollars. That became Wall Street. Similarly, we created Greenwich Mean Time. Why not Botswana Mean Time or Ghana <laughs> Mean Time? We created nation states. We created tribes. Everybody comes from Africa, one same genome. But now we say, oh, so-and-so, Swedish, so-and-so, this, based on geographical location, which we gave names to also. So, as a result of creating these stories, we forgot, actually, that the stories have no basis at all. At all. They're filtered through the conditioned mind. And the conditioning is economic, it's racial, it's ethnic, it's historical, it's cultural. It recycles in our genes as epigenetics. So, you know, when we, a child is born, you see the baby there, you know, I just actually encountered two identical twins. They ate each other. One is a businesswoman. The other is a doctor. They don't get along. They're identical twins. So they came with the same exact genome, right? Why are they so different? Even at birth, a mother will say, this is different. This is different. A mother will tell you, this baby is, is different than this baby, although they look exactly the same. And they haven't yet, yet been to school or, you know, learned a language or anything. But they have a personality. So what's recycling is the conditioned mind over thousands of years, in fact, millions of years, because the mind is not only conditioned by human history. But, you know, if I look at my hand right now, I move this hand, All my ancestors are here in this hand. In fact, I wouldn't be able to move it if my ancestors, human, animal, bacterial, and plant, fungal, were not present here 
as genetic activity. I wouldn't be able to move this hand. So this, what is this hand? It's the recycling of genetic information modified epigenetically through experience as this hand. Now I call it a hand, I think it's a thing, but actually if I go deep into it, it's all my ancestors, but then they say, okay, what is the DNA made of? You know, the oh yeah, the genes are made of uh, nucleotides. Nucleotides, what's that? Oh, it's four letters, ATCG. We made them up, of course. ATCG uh, stands for four chemicals, adenine, guanine, cytosine. But actually, even ATCG is an experience in consciousness. We gave it a name. So what is this made of? And the answer is made of your constructs. You know, the first is all the genetic activity of my ancestors. But then you say, let's go beyond that. What are those chemicals made of? Carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen. 96% of the atoms in your body are just those four things, C-H-O-N. The remaining 4% is everything else on the periodic table. Where did this come from? Well, it was forged in the crucible of a burning star that disappeared maybe a few hundred million years ago. Some of those atoms are not even from the Milky Way galaxy. They come from another galaxy. How many galaxies are there? Two trillion. How many stars are there? 700 sextillion. How many planets are there? Uncountable trillions of planets. Planet Earth, if I was doing a Google map search from outside of space-time, I wouldn't be able to find it. It's not even the size of a grain of sand in all the beaches of planet Earth. Forget all the beaches of other planets. It's not even a grain of sand. You wouldn't be able to find it with the best microscope because it's just one speck of dust in the junkyard of infinity. <laughs> um, and here we are talking about reality. What arrogance. The only thing you know is that you don't know anything. Once you accept that, you wake up to reality. And that reality is pure consciousness, which is infinite, inconceivable, irreducible, without a cause, doesn't exist in time, doesn't have a location in space, has no form. But without it, we wouldn't be having this conversation. And we wouldn't be having this conversation were it not for the entire history of the entire universe in your hands, in your vocal cords, in your brain at this moment. Wow. <laughs> and this moment has passed, is that it? Yeah, by the time you hear my words, they don't exist. So we are all ghosts. By the way, you, if you don't believe in ghosts, just look at Zoom. That's the ghost. Or look at a person, or look at a tree, or look at a star, or listen to my words. By the time you hear them, they don't exist. So everything you're seeing is a ghost. Wow. It doesn't exist. <laughs> so all along those same lines, you talk about I mean, your book is titled Total Meditation. It's about practices in living the awakened life. You're searching for the lifestyle that, you know, caters to waking up, to always being awake, which you could also say always conscious. So, and that's getting beyond belief. My big thing is, and I believe it in my bones, it very much resonates with me. How do we find that balance between, you talk about how life takes care of it. It, it, it handles itself. Um, what do you say? You say, can existence take care of itself? And I want to trust that. I want to surrender. I want to just be able to be present, right? And we have to trust that existence, life will take care of itself and is propelling us in a direction that is good for our 
growth, awakening, etc. So what are your spiritual beliefs on that? Is life always working for us and our greatest unfoldment? Is it, or is it just consciousness and we are, we need to let go of our fear of death? What, what is that? So again, it depends who's asking the question. It's very obvious that the question is being asked by the conditioned mind right now. Anytime you say I, that's what you're referring to. But I would respond by asking you a question. Okay. What are you doing right now to make your heart beat? Zero. What are you doing to regulate your blood pressure? Nothing. What are you doing to regulate your immune function or your digestion or your endocrine system? Just breathing, which is automatic. What are you doing to breathe? Nothing. Just being. What did you do to get from a fertilized egg to where you are right now? Absolutely nothing. So is existence taking care of itself? Yes. So if it has all these billions of years, why would I interfere? Why would a conditioned mind interfere with that? So the only thing you have to do is actually nothing. Once you surrender to the nothing that you are, everything is available. Zero is equal to one is equal to infinity. That's the formula, mathematics. Okay. Equation zero equals one equals infinity. And you can't imagine infinity because it doesn't have a form. So once you try to imagine it, then you're screwed because you know it is doing the imagining. Infinity is doing the imagining. One of the things it's imagined is an entity we call Kelly Gore, but actually that's a ghost. <laughs> so what does it mean to wake up? Wake up means you really see through the dreamscape. You're not bamboozled by the dream anymore. You can upgrade the dream, of course. You know, last night I had a dream. Actually, when I woke up, it was very vague. By now, it's gone. Okay. Now, if I asked you what happened to your childhood, you'd say it's a dream. If I asked you what happened to your teenage years, it's a dream. What happened to yesterday? It's a dream. What happened to this morning? It's a dream. What happened to five minutes ago? It's a dream. What happened to... 10 seconds ago, it's a dream. What happened to one microsecond ago? It's a dream. So why are we so bamboozled by the dream is because of the hypnosis of this conditioning, and that's why it's so difficult to get out of. So yes, that's why we suffer, because we take the dream to be real. And once you take the dream to be real, you can't see through it, then you also realize that dream has like a good movie and you're an actress, it has good scenes and a bad scenes. Now, I wouldn't go to a movie had only good scenes. I wouldn't go to a movie that had only bad scenes. I like the tension. There are heroes, there are villains, but they're all the same dream characters playing different roles, you know, like Shakespeare. You know, one day I'm King Lear, the next day I'm Cleopatra. In fact, when they played Shakespeare in the original, you could be male, female, anything, cross-gender, transgender, because we are all that. Actually, we are all that. So how does someone upgrade their dream? Meaning I'm, I'm sitting here healthy and asking you about, you know, how to trust in life and surrender. And is it working for my greatest good? But someone that was born in with, with a, you know, a meaning, a label of, of disease, you know, how, when they're asking the same question, how do they... How do they upgrade their dream or, or do they need to? What's, is it just based, are we, are we constraining ourselves through judgment? 
Upgrading the dream is self-improvement, any kind of self-improvement, physical improvement, restoring balance in the body, homeostasis, healing, all that is upgrading the dream on the physical level. Upgrading the dream on the emotional level is empathy, compassion, love, joy, equanimity, kindness. That's upgrading the dream at the emotional level. Upgrading the dream at the intellectual level is trying to figure out how the dream got created anyway. Okay. That's all possible through self-improvement. But getting rid of the dream is not self-improvement, it's self-realization. Okay, that, you know, oh, I just woke up. Now, 99% of the human population is not looking to break the spell. They're not looking to get out of the dream. They only want to upgrade it. So, yeah, then sleep well, meditate every day, exercise, have healthy food, have healthy relationships, get in touch with nature, balance your biological rhythms, manage your stress, meditate, mindfulness, all of this will upgrade the dream. Okay, all of this. But that's not self-realization. Self-realization uh, is when you recognize what's perpetuating and recycling the dream. So that in ancient wisdom traditions, in Sanskrit and the Indian tradition, which is the basis of Vedanta, Buddhism, Kashmir Shaivism, many of the Eastern philosophical systems, also Gnostic Christianity, they talk about something else, okay? They're saying that, here, I'll give you the classic five causes of human suffering. Number one, not knowing that you're dreaming. Number two, grasping and clinging at experience that is ephemeral, transient, impermanent, and ungraspable. If I ask you, hold on to your breath right now. After a while, you can't, right? If I say, hold on to the, that thought right now, whatever thought is, don't let go of that thought. You can't. Yeah. Hold on to that feeling. Hold on to that sensation. Hold on to the image. You can't. So grasping and clinging at flashes of experience, which are snapshots of sensations, images, feelings, and thoughts, it creates anxiety. You can't hold on to something that's ungraspable. So that's the second cause of human suffering. First is not knowing that you're in a dream. Second is grasping the ungraspable. Third is recoiling from the ungraspable and impermanent. So, you know, you say, oh, this is a nightmare, uh, and you recoil. But actually, you don't have to. Any nightmare is as impermanent as an, any other dream. So, you know, we are recoiling from nightmares in the dream. That's the third cause. Fourth is you're confusing yourself with your skin encapsulated ego, thinking you're squeezed into the volume of a body in the span of a lifetime. And the fifth is the fear of death. And they're all part of the dream. They're all part of the dream. <laughs> but once you've, the dream dismantles, there's no going back. You know, like when a child is born, you can't return the child back to the womb. Or when a fruit falls, you can't say, go back up to the tree. Once, once the dream is dispelled, it's like you cannot go back. Like if you told me right now, stop using the English language and unlearn it. I can't. Mm -hmm. Unlearn how you learned how to walk. I can't. So once you wake up of the dream, there's no going back. And that is ultimate homeostasis. That's ultimate healing. 
healing, heal, whole, holy. It's a sacred experience. The return of wholeness is a sacred experience because everything that was separate and fragmented falls apart. There's nothing that is not you. So why are you afraid of anything? Or why are you recoiling from anything? Because there's nothing that is separate. Nothing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Healing is. That was my conclusion after researching for heal. And, and it's ultimately spiritual, which you. It, it's only spiritual. It's Everything only. else is shadow play. It's transcending the dream, transcending the illusion. Yes. I love the idea of how we are a new body every seven years and we're a new stomach every three days. These we're constantly birthing and, and cells are constantly coming in healthy and dying off. And so if we live in this quantum field of possibility and that the field and the resonance is holding the shape, the, the container for matter to exist, can you explain how or can you help us understand that if we are new body cells constantly bursting and in communication and in consciousness with each other in perfect balance, it's our consciousness, it's our belief, it's our label about a disease we may have that continues to hold it in place. Like, can't, is, do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, it's um, complicated because what is happening is that, first of all, you're identifying with the body. If not the body, you're identifying with the mind. If not the mind, you're identifying with your personality. And they're all basically flimsy um, entities because they don't have any reality. When you look hard enough for a physical world, you can't find it. When you look hard enough for a physical body, you can't find it. Hard enough for a mind, you can't find it. It's just on and off switches of sensations, images, feelings, thoughts, given a storyline. So, but however, that storyline recycles as what we call the body. And by the way, the recycling is not seven years, it's one year or something. 98% of the atoms are replaced one year. So even as we speak right now, there's cells in your body that are dying. We just said they recycle every five days. Stomach cells recycle every five days, skeleton every three months, and on and on. In one year, you recycled almost everything. So what has recycled is memory. What's recycled is memory, which is all the conditioning we spoke of, collective, personal, it's there. It's part of our ecosystem. And that recycles anyway. The memory in animals and plants and all is recycling. I can't tell the difference between this year's banana and last year's banana if it looks the same. It's exactly the same. Okay? So it's not, there's no difference. It's just the recycling of information. So in wisdom tradition, they say you have a physical body, which is matter and energy, but all the time realizing that that's a human construct, it's not real. Then they said there's a subtle body, which is the emotions and the feelings and the mind and the intellect and the ego. Now that's more subtle, I can't see it, but in fact, it's influencing how this recycles. It's a software program, so to speak. Then there behind the software program is the code. Right now, you know, we are using a computer as a software program, but there's somebody who coded that. So what's the code? The code is in consciousness. And that code is recycling as what we call a life experience. 
So the life experience goes through that code. And, you know, codes, there are mistakes. We call them mutations, errors, spelling mistakes. You think of mutations, even COVID-19 or whatever, these are grammatical mistakes. An alphabet is upside down or it's missing, it's in the wrong sequence. Typos, basically. And these typos cause disease. We call them genetic typos. Okay, so we call them mutations. Now, it turns out that only 5% or less, less than 5% of disease-related typos, mistakes, variations, mutations, doesn't matter what the word is, less than 5% predict disease. So somebody has a Baraka gene like Angelina Jolie had, she's going to get breast cancer. So she did preventive mastectomy, correctly so. For that, in a few years, there'll be already, there is something called CRISPR, where you can cut and paste a gene in the same way you cut and paste an email. So uh, right now, it's only approved for sickle cell anemia and uh, maybe approved for one or two diseases. But I can see a future where in five years, you'll be able to read the barcode of a gene, delete the gene that's defective, insert the gene that's healthy, voila. Now, she doesn't have breast cancer anymore. But the reason I'm saying that is that applies to less than 5% of disease, probably 3%. The rest is influenced by how well do you sleep? How do you manage your stress? How do you move your body? Do you have mind-body coordination? Are you breathing through your nose and deeply? You have healthy relationships, emotions, fear, anxiety, joy, equanimity, connected to nature, and flow. If you have that, then 95% of disease, you don't need to bother. Okay, And even the diseases that people have, autoimmune illnesses, and these are human constructs all, but you know, if you look at all these diseases, all these diseases, cancer, heart disease, whatever, you'll find that whoever has these diseases, they also have low-grade anxiety. Sometimes they don't know that. They just feel anxious. You say, why? They don't know. They have depression, low-grade. Are you depressed? Yeah, I feel sad. Do you know why? I don't know. They also have low-grade inflammation. They don't know it. They feel tired. That predicts the disease by 10, 20 years before. Okay, so if you can treat anxiety, depression, and low-grade inflammation, you can prevent those diseases. And right now, there's evidence that epigenetically, you can reverse many of them. And one of the key things may be diet itself, because you, know, you have uh, 20 million uh, genes that are bacterial in your body, and only 25,000 that are human. So take care of the bacterial genes by taking a diet that has maximum diversity of plant-based foods, that doesn't come from a factory, not refined, processed, manufactured, containing petroleum products, antibiotics, steroids. If you just do one thing, like change your diet to a healthy diet, you'll change 20 million genes in your body over a period of time. And now we know that even the 80% of serotonin comes from the gut. So change your mood. Everything is all interdependent. Mm -hmm. That's how you upgrade the dream. But you won't get rid of it because you will still grow old. At some point, you'll have infirmity and then there's death. But once you understand that death is part of the cycle that makes life possible, life is not the opposite of death. Life is the continuum of birth and death. Death and birth are opposites. 
but they are necessary in order to keep life going. So in medical terminology, we have a term in biology, it's called apoptosis, programmed cellular death. When a cell forgets to die, it becomes a cancer cell. So cancer is the loss of the memory of death. This stomach cell says, I want to be immortal because I'm not part of the body. I don't give a shit about the body. I just want to be immortal. So it goes on its quest for immortality. It kills the host and then it dies because the host kept it alive. So you and I are actually these recycling, being born and dying every day, every moment, entities that make life possible. Without death, there's no life. Zero life. Death makes life possible. And the cell that forgets to die is a dangerous cell for the body. Mm. Okay, So when the body thinks it's not part of the universe, that's danger. When you think that you are not part of the web of existence, that's a danger signal. So when we say love, compassion, empathy, these are not emotions. These are the truths at the heart of the universe because everything is inseparable, not connected. That's another mistake. Everything is connected to everything else. No, no, no. Everything is one entity appearing as different entities. Mm. So this iPhone and you and me and this computer and the Milky Way galaxy is one entity appearing as different activities. The activities, your eye cells are not separate from your heart cells or your brain cells. In fact, they couldn't function by themselves. So when you were conceived, you were one stem cell. One stem cell divided two became four. Divided again, became eight. 50 times, 60 trillion cells, more than all the stars in the Milky Way galaxy, just 50 replication. Now, this looks very different than my fingernails. Fingernails look very different from my hair follicles. Hair follicles look very different from my genitalia. Genitalia look very different from my brain, but actually they're the same entity doing different things. You know, just different activities. That's what keeps the body alive. Stomach cells, heart cells are the same cells originally, but this stomach says, let me digest food. Heart says, let me pump the blood. Liver says, let me remove the toxins. And brain cells, let me do the computation for all these things. But they're actually the same entity. Oh my gosh, when you were talking about cancer, which is obviously more prevalent than anything, as well as anxiety and depression. We're seeing this huge, you know, mental health crisis in the world. But as you were saying that a cancer cell has forgotten to die, it makes me think of so many people are grasping to this physical life that they resist. They have so much fear of death. So that consciousness is now informing the cells to resist death which then becomes a cancer cell. It's almost expressing in the body. Informing. Consciousness is not informing. The okay. mind, the conditioned mind is informing. Okay, Consciousness exactly. is just happy being itself. It's infinite. It doesn't give a shit. <laughs> it's infinite. Nothing matters. Right. And when I say nothing matters, I mean absolutely nothing matters. And I'm using nothing and matters as a verb. So matters, matters. Nothing, which is nothing, becomes matter, okay? Mm -hmm. It becomes the appearance of matter. Mm 
but ultimately nothing matters. Yeah. Once you understand that, you're free. And you're enlightened, which you say is achievable and practical. And clearly you are there. There are millions of people, millions of people who are there. Millions. <laughs> Hopefully we can listen and get it one step closer. The rest are watching CNN or Fox. <laughs> yeah. Uh, even, you know, the Buddha said, this lifetime of ours is transient as autumn clouds. To watch the birth and death of beings is like looking at the movements of a dance. A lifetime is like a flash of lightning in the sky, rushing by like a torrent down a steep mountain. Before you know it, the dream is over. And then you recycle another dream. And you think that's all there is. <sighs> so we should just row, row, row our boat gently down the stream. Life is but a dream. <laughs> Actually, you don't have to row. Just just go with the current. <laughs> just float. Why, why would you want to row? I don't know. I thought that's a free will. I thought we lived in a participatory universe where we have to row a little bit. No, we just chill? At some point, there's no rowing. No. Okay. As long as there's doing, feeling, thinking, there is still the mind. No solution can be come through the mind, it can upgrade the quality of experience. But the mind created the problems, then the mind can't solve the problems because it created them. And another, I think Albert Einstein might have said something to that effect. And another thing that you mentioned in your book, and it's one of my favorite quotes, is there are two ways to look at life. One is though nothing is a miracle, and one is though everything is a miracle. And that's what I always go back to, because if you do think of your heart beating, we're breathing. We went from, you know, how did the sperm and the egg fertilize? And now I'm here talking to you, a ghost via Zoom, you know, it's mind blowing. But um, if we can exist in that gratitude and awe as if everything is a miracle and keep coming back to that. And I think what you talk about in your book is that practice, you, we, to go into silence is where we expand beyond the ego self and kind of merge with consciousness. So meditation as a practice will eventually lead to some form of total meditation. Is that correct? Yes, as a practice, it eventually leads to where there is no need anymore to use a tool because you got there. You know, you take a taxi to get some destination and then you let the taxi go. You know, or you take a boat to cross the river and the other bank and then you let the boat go, you know. So... You talk about the vagus nerve in the book and just to, again, get people into that recognition of how miraculous this whole design is in the human body and healing. You know, you talk about how Western medicine has still yet to fully embrace the powers of this vagus nerve and, and how it is our healing nerve. Can you just explain a little bit about the miracles yes, of the vagus nerve? That, you know, we have, again, these are human constructs created by scientists and we buy into them and they're useful. This is like you having a map. You know, if I tell you, let's meet at the corner of 56th and Broadway and then let's go to Serafina restaurant and have Caesar salad. Now, 56th and Broadway, we made it up, right? Serafina restaurant, we made it up. Caesar salad, we made it up. But we now know what we're talking about. And we also know the experience we can anticipate. But once we get to the restaurant, then the menu, you can't eat the menu, okay? You can only eat the real food. 
but the menu is helpful in directing you. You know, I look at the menu and I already start salivating depending on what I want to choose. But the menu is a symbol. Your body is a symbol. Your mind is a symbol. And everything else is a symbol. And the symbols actually activate even experiences. You know, you see a red sign on this traffic. It activates an experience. You stop. Okay, and if you cross it, you, then you feel nervous. You know, there's the police guy going to go after me. So symbols take over our experience and reality hides in the back. Okay. Once we recognize that, then we choose our symbolic experiences consciously. That's the key. And also you recognize this, you recognize you can't choose to have an experience tomorrow. You say, okay, you know, when I meet Kelly Gore uh, on, uh, on Friday at the corner of uh, 56 and Broadway and we go to Serafina and have Caesar salad, well, guess what? Her plane doesn't get off the ground because uh, of air traffic control. Or she changes her mind. She says, you know, I'm not going to New York. Or she has a fight with her husband. Or the weather is bad. Choices are only made in the present moment and we fret all the time, anticipation, regret, did I do this wrong? Should I have done this? What should I do? So when you wake up, there's no anticipation, there's no regret, there's no resistance, there's just this, and it's fine. This is now, is the time you make whatever choice that gives you joy. In fact, if you don't have joy, then that should be the only measure of success. It doesn't matter what you feeling inside, whether you have cancer or heart disease or you're arguing. If you don't have joy, you're not healthy. Joy is the only measure of success and well-being. The rest takes care of itself. Now, paradoxically, when you feel that joy, self-regulation kicks in. Mm. Self-regulation, homeostasis, you call it what you will, healing, biological healing, self-regulation, homeostasis, decrease in inflammation. We have many words for this. I think homeostasis is the best word for healing because it's baseline. So what is the ultimate homeostasis? Death. Now you are totally free as who you really are, as consciousness, and you realize that embodiment is actually a trick. There's no such thing as embodiment because... What you call your body exists in your consciousness. You are not embodied. The body is an experience in consciousness. You're not in the mind. The mind is an experience in consciousness. The world, you're not in the world. The world is an experience in consciousness. The body, mind, and world are just you recycling memories. That's all it is. And that's, people call it by different names, reincarnation. And then they get all nervous, you know, reincarnation, karma, memory, desire. What is going on? Well, all that's recycling is magical lies. It's not a big deal. Not a big deal. Yeah, you say and heal, ultimately, you've got to get beyond your fear of death. And you see in all the research of people that have spontaneously healed or gone into remission, you know, they're sent home to die and they say, you know, screw it. I've only got so-and-so time to live. So I'm just going to live life to its fullest, be joyful. And voila, you know, 15, 20 years later, they're still here. So there's it, a whole it, bunch of literature on spontaneous remissions, which happens. 
I think, where there is no fear of anything, including the fear of death. <sighs> so as we're wrapping up here, you, you're involved in, and started this Never Alone Foundation, which is addressing this kind of epidemic, pandemic of anxiety and depression that was obviously exacerbated by COVID-19 as people were more and more isolated. So will you talk to us about Never Alone um, and what that is doing for people? Well, first of all, I want to thank you for supporting Never Alone with your generous donation. But right now, more people are dying of suicide than of anything else in the globe. Every 12 seconds, somebody commits suicide. Suicide is the second most common cause of death in teenagers. Mm. Last year, more people died in, in Japan from suicide than from COVID-19. So this is a sign that as humans, we are living in desperation right now. And there are many, many causes and it's multifactorial, but it's also linked to many things. So I would go to the extent of saying that climate change, mass migrations, violence, terrorism, war, pandemics, which is, you know, mutations as a result of an ecosystem of genetic information that is inflamed. So pandemics, wars, terrorism, mass migrations, nuclear weapons, cyber hacking. This is what we've done as human beings. And our kids, they're so desperate. that Can you imagine that that's become second most common cause of death? Mm -mm. It's a travesty on our humanity. It's not complete that we are so bamboozled by the superstition of matter that we have actually lost our identities and we are passing it on to our children and their children. So right now, we feel that as a collective consciousness, if we could support each other, and it's very simple, attention, listen to each other deeply, affection, care for each other deeply, love, compassion, love in action, attention, I said listen, affection, care, appreciation, notice that every human being is a gift, actually every sentient being is a gift, appreciation and acceptance. Don't try to change anyone. It's hard enough for you to change yourself mm -hmm. when you want to. So here is, I want to change that person so I feel better. It's ridiculous. So if we just take care of this attention, affection, appreciation, and acceptance, we create a global sangha. Sangha means community. Where we do this, we can democratize well-being and especially for our kids. So as a result of your support and support of others, we are now moving in the direction of creating a cryptocurrency and, a, and even a, you know, blockchain activity where we will help pay for anyone that is mentally uh, experiencing mental distress right now. We will help pay for it. We'll introduce counselors. So if you go to the Never Alone website, neveralone.love, www.neveralone.love, you'll see a little chatbot called Peewee. She's the sister of Gabriella, who is, you know, part of Never Alone, co-founder. Gabriella's sister was a recording artist in Europe, and she died of suicide. And, you know, the family has a lot of tragedy around that. 
So we named the chatbot PV. What did we, un- because that was her uh, nickname. Mm. She has intervened, now chatbot has intervened in like 500, 600 suicide att- uh, attempts. There are a million people right this moment engaging in a conversation with her. Wow. Once again, a commentary on our humanity people are more comfortable speaking to a machine than they are to a human being because they don't feel judged. Again, a travesty, how judgmental we are and how mean-spirited we can be in the face of tragedy. So thank you for supporting Never Alone. Yes, thank you for creating it and providing that service to so many people that need it right now. So in the book, I wrote this, I wrote down so many things. I have three pages of notes, but the roots of evil behavior exist in us all. And we're in this cancel culture and we're seeing it express in certain individuals and we judge them and we, we don't forgive, but we have to, how does it help us to know that the roots of evil behavior exists in us all? And it's usually any psychopathology, most of it is, has to do with our wounded child. So who's ever committing the violence and the crimes are, are, you know, expressing their wounded child. So how do we, I mean, I think love and action is the answer. Those four A's to be the love and action so that we can, I don't know. I just, I just, how do we, how do we forgive people that are expressing it evil? It took me a long time to realize that activism doesn't work except temporarily. So I was there with Gloria Steinem and she burnt the bras in um, Cambridge, Massachusetts and started the feminist movement. I was there for the anti-war movement in Vietnam. I was there for the Greenpeace movement. What happened? Nothing. We have the Me Too campaign right now. What happened? So activism that comes from moral outrage doesn't work because moral outrage is also rage. The word itself says so. Moral outrage. So when you have moral outrage, you're participating in the rage. Just stay away from it and bring in the light. Don't find darkness. Don't fight darkness. You cannot fight darkness. The shadow is existing in all of us, all of us. There's no one. In fact, if you don't have a shadow, it means only one thing. You're standing in darkness. If you're standing in light, the more light there is, the longer the shadow. Mm-hmm. Okay? Wow. So, so if you're standing in the light, then you will see your shadow. You will see everybody else's shadow. And you'll forgive yourself and you'll forgive everybody else. And you'll only focus on the light and no more activism. In fact, activism becomes sacred. Sacred means I bring in the light irrespective of where I am. It doesn't matter if you are a Trump supporter or Biden supporter, a feminist, a transgender, whatever. It doesn't matter. You're a sentient being worthy of love, gratitude, an infinite compassion, not condescending compassion, but real compassion. I'm there. So because we are never alone. That's it. Uh, well, I think we can't top that. That's what we'll end. And, and I think in, in the you know, lens of healing, to be love and action towards yourself and others, that's how we heal ourselves and the world. So thank you so much for just being so generous with your time. I know you're the most sought after <laughs> wisdom teacher. Oh, I enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thank you, Kelly. Thank Take, you. Care. Take care. Bye. All right, guys. Well, Deepak just left the building, but 
I wanted to be really respectful for the hour that he so generously shared with us. Oh my gosh, my mind is blown. And I just want to reiterate because there's a few things that we didn't touch on in the interview. I have, again, tons of notes. <laughs> there's so much, I mean, we could talk forever. But um, as, as philosophical and profound and deep that conversation was, there really are so many practical daily lessons and applications for you know, to tap into this consciousness that he, that he speaks of to, towards self-realization, towards upgrading the dream. And so I, I highly recommend everybody checking out Total Meditation. For instance, I asked him about the vagus nerve and then we went on, you know, a whole nother tangent of profundity. Um, but in, in the book, there's, he talks about how powerful the vagus nerve is in activating our own healing potential. It's like the healing nerve. It's the healing kind of power source of our body. Um, and there's ways that we can activate that healing mechanism by doing specific breathing, vagal breathing, he calls it. And he teaches you that in the book. So check it out. Pretty profound, actually, just what we can do with our own instrument. This body is a miracle. And now I'm viewing everything as a miracle because there's only two ways to do it. So one other thing I wanted to touch on is that we didn't get to is Deepak says in his book, and I think this is so, so helpful to be aware of, but emotions want to discharge. This is their nature. They will leave you if you will create a path for them to follow. So I think a lot of us, you know, we are holding trauma within us. We are holding the past within our psyche and our tissues. Um, and the reason that it's the stickiness comes from the emotional charge. And, you know, usually as we learn and heal, we're holding on to these past traumatic memories, pain, because we weren't able, we didn't have the tools or capacity to deal with the intense emotions in the moment. We didn't have the wherewithal to let the emotions pass through us um, and release because we were fully present with them. So we stuffed them away. We hid them. We held our breath. We held them inside of our energy field, our tissues and our psyche. And so he says, you know, the process of of finding a pathway to let these emotions release is through a daily practice of meditation. The subconscious programming, you know, we learned in Heal that 75% of the beliefs and programs that we adopt from other people who have beliefs based on their wounded child and their parents' wounded child and so on and so forth. You know, the process of freeing ourselves from these negative subconscious beliefs can also happen in regular meditation. It happens naturally as the ego, which has deep roots in the past, gives way to a more expanded sense of self. So um, he says in the book, and I love this, he quotes Thich Nhat Hanh, but, you know, everybody says, don't just sit there, do something. And that's really, you know, that kind of sums up what's happening in the Western world. We're just go, 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 do, 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 achieve, 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 share, 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 like, 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 do, do, do. And it's this treadmill that we just is not sustainable. So Thich Nhat Hanh says, no, don't just do something, sit there. So he flips it on his head and Deepak says this in many ways in this book, but the answer really does lie in meditation where, you know, he says meditation is not evasion of stress and reality. It is serene encounter with reality with a capital R. So, oh my gosh so much in this book. I wish I could share more, but pick up Total Meditation. And I hope you got as much out of that conversation as I did. And yeah, 
again, we are just this tiny little speck of sand in the universe. So let that shit go. Tap into the joy. Have a little more fun today. Have a little more joy in your life. Because that that and love and action, those are the uh, key ingredients to healing. Take care. Thank you for listening to The Heal Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday to hear more empowering wisdom and inspiring healing stories. Oh, and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss that one episode that holds the answer you've been searching for. Follow us on Instagram for some behind the scenes fun and more inspiration at at Heal Documentary and at Kelly Gorris. Take care and be well. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.